Morning, church. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us in person and online. I want to remind you that starting next week, sorry, um, Dr. Mason Lee will be here. There is his information. Um, To remind you, we've contracted with the Cybert Institute out of Abilene Christian University, and there's four guys that are going to be here on a rotation basis. And so Dr. Mason Lee will be here next week. I, uh, we're going to have to muddle through some stuff since this is my last day. There are some people here that I want to acknowledge, and I can't acknowledge everyone, but I'll draw attention to. I've got family here today. My oldest brother, Jeff, and his wife, Gail, my sister, Cheryl, her husband, Gary, my sister, Dina, my brother, David, his wife, Myra, Kelly's sister, Cassandra, are here today. Um, as if today wasn't tough enough the way it was. (laughs) Our son Spencer, his wife Christine, and Logan. Um, Our daughter Sydney, you know her, they worship here. Her husband Justin and Cade. I've got friends from the Pine Tree Church in East Texas who are here. Thanks for coming. I've got former college students from back in the 80s and 90s that are here. Thanks for coming. Members of the Weatherford Church of Christ, thanks for coming. Forgive me for drawing attention to you. My breakfast bunch from Miller's is here. Brian and Sherry Springston. Dirk Miller, that is an unsolicited um, Miller's barbecue comment there. Um, Thomas, thanks for being here. President O'Rear and your wife Julie, I'm humbled and honored that y'all are here. I didn't know so many people would be excited. I'm quitting. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I've got to throw some humor in. I, uh, I didn't know if I was going to make it to today. It got here quickly, and I was rolling along. I've been doing really well, and Tuesday hit, and I got very emotional, and I was just going to video the whole sermon <laughs> and just watch. Um, I actually videoed the end of the sermon, but we'll do it all live, and we'll, we'll muddle through this. So we're in a series. We conclude today. I conclude today. We're calling Favorite Bible Stories. I think everyone has a favorite. So if I said favorite restaurant, Miller's Barbecue, by the way, just <laughs> mention that. Uh, favorite vacation spot, favorite music or music group, favorite pizza, ice cream, Christmas tradition, favorite movie, favorite hymn that we sing. I think everybody has a favorite. When it comes to our series, you probably have a favorite Bible character or a favorite Bible story. Before we get into one of mine today, the last one we're going to do today, let me tell you about some devastation. Some devastation. So, I don't know if you remember back to 2005, Hurricane Katrina. It was one of the deadliest and most destructive hurricanes of the 2005 season. It had sustained winds of 175 miles an hour. It was one of the costliest 
national disasters. It was one of the five deadliest hurricanes in the history of the United States. Over 1,800 people lost their lives. Property damage was estimated at $108 billion at the time in 2005. Katrina devastated the city of New Orleans. Eventually, 80% of the city flooded. Hundreds of thousands of residents were left um, unemployed. Katrina displaced over a million people, making it the largest diaspora in the history of the United States. Katrina absolutely devastated that coastal area. Devastation. It took years to rebuild. They're still rebuilding in some areas. Can you imagine being forced out of your home, forced out of your city, forced out of your location, forced to move somewhere else? Picture that devastation. And now you understand the story from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a story about devastation. It's a story about rebuilding. The northern kingdom has been destroyed, devastated. The people have been carried off by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom has been broken by Nebuchadnezzar. The city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. It is devastated. Nothing exists. Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish culture. The temple has been burned and torn down. The temple where they went to meet their God. The temple where, in essence, they thought God lived. That's where they went to find their God. And much of the Jewish population has been deported to another country, other places, far from their homes, far from their temple, far from the location where they find their God, and far from the land that God had promised them. And now, evil men and tyrants and despots have begun to rule. And the people are asking, where's God? Where's God in all of this devastation? Why doesn't God do something? Doesn't God care? They knew God had moved powerfully in the past, but God has been quiet for about a hundred years, and they're wondering, where is God in all of this? Much like you do in the midst of sickness, death, unemployment, moves. Where is God? Why is he not doing anything? Again, Jerusalem is devastated and in ruins. The temple is devastated and in ruins. The people are devastated and their lives have been ruined. And they've lost their sense of mission. They've lost their sense of purpose. And they've lost their calling. And into this story, into this setting, into this devastation, enter Nehemiah. Zerubbabel has returned already, and with 50,000 exiles, they rebuilt the temple. Ezra has returned and called the people to repentance, and they are once again living in obedience to God. And now Nehemiah returns to rebuild the walls. And here's what Nehemiah does. In 13 chapters, in about 500 verses, in 52 days, they rebuild the walls around 
Jerusalem. In 52 days, they accomplished, in 52 days, they accomplished what hadn't been done in a hundred years. And they rebuilt the walls. I want you to, when you, when you picture walls, I want you to imagine two and a half miles of walls, 40 feet high, 8 feet thick, in 52 days. In 52 days, the walls are done in the midst of constant attack, constant opposition, opposition from without and opposition from within. They had no walls. Without walls, Jerusalem could hardly be considered a city. Without walls, Jerusalem was open to all of the attacks from the enemies. Without walls, they had no identity. And Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the walls. And because of the leadership of Nehemiah, the walls are rebuilt, and the city is rebuilt, and the people are unified, and the work gets done, and the opposition gets squelched, and the city is restored because of the heart and the purpose of one man by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah organized, managed, supervised, encouraged, confronted injustice, and kept going until the walls were built. And he did all of that in the midst of opposition. Strong opposition. Nehemiah is a story about leadership. It's a story about broken walls. A story about broken people. A story about mission and purpose. A story about a people who are willing to work together and set aside all of their differences and get involved. I love in chapter 3, in, in just 32 verses, 47 times he uses the words built, rebuilt, worked, and repaired. The people came together. It's a story of revival. It's a story of commitment. It's a story of worship. I love Nehemiah 12. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. But Nehemiah, to me, is a story about opposition. Which leads me to one of my favorite verses. We begin in Nehemiah 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So here's what's going on. The project is almost done. This project is almost complete. All he has to do is set the doors in the gates. It's almost ribbon-cutting time. It's almost time to celebrate. And we're on the downward stretch. And the enemy, the opposition, comes knocking at the door. And Nehemiah knows why they're there. He says, they were scheming to harm me. He knew. You keep reading and he says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. So Nehemiah knows what's going on. Their plan was to pull Nehemiah off the project. Get Nehemiah away from the people. Get Nehemiah away from his supporters. Get Nehemiah off the wall. So they invite Nehemiah to meet with them. Nehemiah doesn't have time for meetings. Nehemiah doesn't have time for opposition. Nehemiah doesn't have time for distractions. Anytime you do kingdom work, there will be distractions. Anytime you do work, there will be distractions. You see that in every aspect of your life. 
people that don't like how you're doing it, people who don't like what you're doing, and they'll do anything they can to get you distracted, just like they did Nehemiah. Ridicule, threats, discouragement, complaints, distractions. So here's what's going on. The enemies have threatened military action. They have tried to distract, and now they send a message to Nehemiah and say, we need to meet on the plain of Ono. Ono is 20 miles away. If we can get Nehemiah off the wall, 20 miles away. They want to kidnap Nehemiah. They want to get rid of Nehemiah. Maybe even kill Nehemiah. And Nehemiah knows. So when they say, we want to meet on the plains of Ono, Nehemiah says, oh, no. (laughs) Just seeing if you're listening. It's not a time for meetings. It's not a time for opposition. And here's how Nehemiah responds. He says, they were scheming to harm me, so I, Nehemiah, sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Wow. I want, I want, I want, I want you to say those words. I am doing a great work. Four times they sent that message. And Nehemiah four times responded. Four times the message went up. Four times the same message came down. Picture this, Nehemiah up on a ladder or up on top of the wall. Hey, Nehemiah, we need to meet with you. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Four times. Four times, can't you just hear him saying, I'm doing a great work. And Nehemiah finished the work. (laughs) In 52 days, 52 days, and the construction project was a success because he stayed focused, he stayed on point, he stayed on mission because he didn't have time for the opposition. He didn't have time for the distractions. Anything that had to do with rebuilding the walls was a yes. Anything that had to do with a distraction was a no. To accomplish the important things in life, you need to learn from Nehemiah that when the distractions come, you need to say, Oh, no. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Listen, folks, Satan wants to distract you. Satan wants you to get so busy with distractions that you forget what you're supposed to be doing. So here's your homework assignment for today. I want you to use this verse in your marriage, with your kids, at work, in your job, in your ministry. I want you to put this verse on your desk I want you to put this verse on your refrigerator. You can order stickers that say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want you to be reminded. When you tuck your children in at night, I want you to whisper to yourself, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Single parents. I don't know how single parents do it. I want you to remind yourself, I'm I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. 
When you think about your marriage, remind yourself, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. When you work at the love of Christ or the body of Christ or threads of love or soft touch or singing at Park Place or Abigail Ministries, your ministry here at church, whatever your work is for the Lord, I want you to remind yourself, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. When it comes to the people who are distractions, just say, oh, no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah and the people of God were able to rise from the rubble, to rise from the devastation, to come together for a common cause, to limit their distractions. I'm fascinated in 52 days. Because Nehemiah reminded the people, all the people heard him yelling down from the top of the wall, we're doing a great work. We cannot come down. I love the many, many lessons from Nehemiah. Again, this is a story about leadership. If you want to be a better leader, read Nehemiah. This is a story about revival. This is a story about commitment. This is a story about worship. And this is a story about how to handle opposition. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. One of my favorite Bible characters. One of my favorite Bible verses. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. So in closing, let me say a few things. Today is my last day of full-time ministry. I don't know how the Lord's going to use me in days to come. You've heard. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I've worked with four churches in my ministry career. Clinton, Oklahoma. Weatherford, Oklahoma. Longview, Texas. Belton, Texas, to all those I've worked with, to all those who came in today, to the church family here, we did a great work. To the Belton Church family, thank you for believing in me seven years ago. Thank you to the elders who brought me here, who believed in me. I know why I was called here in the same way I know why I was called at previous locations And I did a great work. Don't make that about me. Don't make it about Nehemiah. Make it about giving God the glory. But to this church family, you've been a receptive, sweet, amazing church family. You're doing a great work. Do not come down. But for me today, for 41 years of ministry... I've been doing a great work. Today I must come down. I don't come down in defeat. I come down in celebration. It's ribbon cutting day for me. I celebrate today and my prayer today is the same as Nehemiah's. The last verse of Nehemiah. Remember me with favor, oh my God. To my family, my brothers and sisters, spouses, everyone who's here today. Thanks for... All the people who drove in to support the Belton and Temple economy today. (laughs) To my children, Spencer and Christine and Logan, Sydney and Justin and Cade. Couldn't ask for a better family. Couldn't ask for better children. Couldn't ask for better spouses. 
couldn't ask for better grandkids. I appreciate the text and the calls and the encouragement from my family. Thanks for letting me still be dad and be a minister. To my sweet wife, Kelly, thanks for being there by my side for 41 years of ministry. Don't walk down here and make me cry, son. <laughs> Kelly, thanks, like the note I sent you yesterday, thanks for keeping me level and keeping me strong and keeping me going, and thanks for doing 41 years of ministry with me. Again, church, thank you to all who have believed in me. We've been doing a great work. Today I must come down. So to close, one of my favorite movies with one of my favorite quotes from Hoosiers. I love you guys. Let's pray.